Fantastic. Well, nice to see you again. Good stuff. If you've got a Bible, just turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, it may come up on the screen as well, but hey, listen, always bring your Bible, always have something, uh, the Word on your device or whatever it might be. It's good to have the Word of God in front of you. Exodus chapter 2, while you're just doing that, um, a number of you mentioned that you were kind of sponsors already, and that's so good. Thank you very, very much indeed. What we want to do is build a bit of a an impact report out of what happens today, but also what's already happening in terms of Restore's partnership with Compassion. And so if you are a Compassion sponsor already, come and see me at the stand afterwards in the, the coffee area. And uh, if you're happy to, just give us your name and your postcode. If you know the child's name or the child's country or whatever, then um, you can drop that on that as well. And we'll link that to the Restore partnership so that we can then, you know, uh, come back and and give you a, a report on the impact that you as a church are having there in Rwanda and other parts of the world, because some of you will be sponsoring uh, elsewhere as well. So uh, we'd love to do that. But uh, let's just read Exodus chapter 2. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and with pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and she sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The authorized version uh, says this in verse 6, and when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And I'm asking today, will you have compassion on one of these precious kids? Will you see the child and uh, have compassion upon them. Father, we pray today that you would just help us as we consider your word, as we uh, think about uh, this story and uh, look again afresh at what it has to say to us. Challenge us today, correct us, inspire us today, teach us, we pray, draw us closer to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, listen, if you've never read this Bible story before, I'm sure you've heard of it somewhere, maybe the the Prince of Egypt film or the stage show. You know, it's a great story, and uh, it's a story of deliverance from captivity and the creation of a nation, and it's all centered around this guy called Moses. It's a picture 
of God's plan of salvation, demonstrated through his love for mankind, to bring a people out of the slavery of sin and darkness into the family of God through his son, the Lord Jesus. So much of what the Old Testament tells us is a picture of the new, isn't it? And it foreshadows the new covenant of God. And this uh, story helps us to understand more about God's love and God's plan of salvation. So look, let's give you some context. In, in chapter one, Pharaoh is concerned about the rise of the Hebrew people in the land and the fear of being outnumbered. So he says to his advisors, we've got to keep them down. Let's take away their freedom and make them slaves. And it says this, that Pharaoh was ruthless with them and he made their lives bitter. And he also wanted to control their numbers so as babies were born, if they were a male, they would be killed and thrown into the Nile. Can you imagine the fear and the horror and the suffering and the pain of those uh, Hebrew people when this was happening? Maybe much like the, the fear and the, the horror and the pain and the suffering of those in the Ukraine right now, those in Gaza and Israel, those in so many other wars around the world, Yemen, different parts of the world. I think there's something like 32 wars going on right now. Again, we don't, we don't know this stuff, do we? Thank God that we live in a peaceful country. Thank God we have what we have. So much pain and suffering going on around the world. And we ask that God would just continue to minister into those situations. Thousands of refugees, displaced people, hundreds killed, including young children. Well, into into this situation, a young boy is born, and his name is Moses. And he was born into slavery with a death sentence over his head. So what chance did this kid have? You know, he was scuppered before he even, you know, got out of nappies. What hope was there for him? You see, this was his people, and the oppressor, Pharaoh, was out to get him. He was born into the wrong postcode. How many of you know that they had postcodes back then in ancient Egypt? Yeah? Well, this was the geo postcode. The geo postcode. You see, the area was Goshen, where the Hebrews lived. Not the TH postcode, Thebes, where Pharaoh uh, lived and the palace was. Y you see, a person's opportunity and their lifestyle and very often their fate are often linked to the postcode or even the area, or even the country to which they are born into. You've only got to look at the city of Plymouth, and there will be postcode areas. And uh, depending where you live, there are certain challenges attached to that, aren't there? Can I tell you, church, that there are currently 356 million children in our world who were born into a postcode of poverty, of suffering, of slavery, captivity, abuse, and exploitation. They are in their Goshen, as it were, uh, and they are children who are caught up in, in uh, hard labor, forced labor. Maybe it's bonded debt where a, a debt has been handed down through the generations and they can never repay it because the interest is so high and so they are slaves in that quarry or in that factory or, or in that mill or wherever it might be. Children who are caught up as child soldiers in civil wars in their country. Children who face sexual exploitation and trafficking, as well as all the challenges of not having food security, clean water, and access to education and health care as well. 
And just as there was a death sentence over Moses' head, so too for many today, they won't reach their first birthday because of disease, poor sanitation, filthy water, lack of a good diet and nutrition, and healthcare resource are not within their reach. It will affect infant mortality. This is the disparity of where we're at. Just this week uh, on the news, it announced that the five richest men doubled their wealth, their, their, uh, uh, you know, their, their gathered wealth to 632 billion pounds. 632 billion. I mean, that's, that's about 8 billion for every person on the planet. Incredible. That would be all right, wouldn't it? What we could do with that. And I'm sure that they're doing lots of great things with that, but there's a disparity in this where so many of uh, the, the people of this world struggle day by day even just to put some food into their mouth. For mums that they cannot protect their children because of a lack of resource to be able to do that. And that's the disparity for those who live in the wrong postcode. Do you know what? I love the spirit of Jochebed. Jochebed was Moses' mum. And it's as though she said to the oppressor of the people, you're not having my child. You're not having my baby. You're not having my son, okay? So she takes a little basket, and she makes it waterproof, and she places this uh, little three-month-old baby into the basket. And she puts the basket into the river amongst the bulrushes and reeds, and then she tells her daughter Miriam to stay close and to watch what happens. Listen, church, maybe there's a word for us here this morning. Don't let the enemy take from you what God has invested in your life. Wow. Maybe that's speaking to somebody today who, you know, you feel like giving up. Maybe, uh, you know, because of disillusionment or disappointment or maybe because of criticism or maybe you've become cynical about the particular thing. Maybe it's a ministry or a gift or an opportunity, a responsibility that we have before God, but we're allowing it to be, uh, allowing the, the, the enemy to rob it from us and to take it from us. Don't let the enemy take from you what God has invested in your life. Maybe there's a, a, a young person in your family, a teenager who's turned their back on God. Let's keep crying out to God for that young person that God would open their eyes and cause them to see truth and to find life in him. Don't let the enemy take from you what God has invested in you. Protect it, watch over it, grow it. Because who knows, when the time is right, God will use it in his plan of, self, of bringing salvation to others. Amen? So we have a responsibility. Well, what faith she exhibits? She knows that she's got to do something. And what a risk she takes by putting this baby into a crocodile-infested river. None of you would do that to your children, would you? Okay. I'm sure you wouldn't. But you know what Jochebed had heard? The stories handed down that God was faithful. He was a faithful God. He was a miracle-working God. And God was about to display his faithfulness and execute his plan of, uh, of rescue into the lives of his people. So Miriam is watching, right, in verse 5 there. And she. Uh, and it says that Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river to bathe. And her attendants are walking along the riverbank. I guess they're checking out, is it a safe place for the princess to go down and bathe? And that's when she saw the basket. Maybe she heard a little cry, a little gurgle from the, the basket. She tells her servants to bring the basket to her. 
Now, here's an interesting thing, okay? Now, go with me on this, okay? You see, Jochebed put the basket in the Nile, right? And I guess, I guess it was fairly close to where she lived there in Goshen. The question is this, why would the princess be walking in that area? You see, it was well out of her TH postcode. It was dangerous for her to be there. And why on earth would she want to bathe in the dirty, filthy water of the Hebrews who'd been bathing in there and washing their clothes and maybe their goats and their cattle had been wandering around in the river there? You see, this would be downstream from the palace. And the Hebrews would bathe in the dirty water of the Egyptians, not the other way around. Now, the only thing that I can think of is that somehow, somehow, the basket moved upstream. Wow. Oh, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Can God do that? Of course he can. He stops the sun from moving. He, he opens the, the waters of the Red Sea. He, he's the, the God who does all kinds of miraculous things, who feeds 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish. God can do it. God can do that kind of stuff. He can cause uh, things to move against the tide. He can cause things to go against the expectation of what was the norm. You see, he's very good at taking that which is despised and rejected and worthless and downstream in the eyes of the world and sending them upstream. Amen? 1 Samuel 2 verse 8 says this, that he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap and he seats them among princes and bestows on them a throne of honor. A throne of honor. Maybe you feel today that you're at the bottom of the pile. Maybe today life hasn't served you very well. Perhaps you feel like you are in a place of containment or it's like there's a sentence that has been spoken over your life. It might not be a death sentence like Moses, but maybe it's a sentence, a word that has been spoken over your life that has contained you for all these years. It's held you back. You're rubbish. You're worthless. I, I never wanted you in the first place. I don't love you. You'll never amount to anything. You, you've got no future. Uh, they'll do it, but you won't because you're not good enough. And maybe that's a sentence that's been spoken over you and others like it that has contained you. And every time you've tried to move forward, it's held you back. You've believed the lie. You, you've believed the doubt, and we were singing about some of that today, but we address that in the name of Jesus today, and we speak truth over you, and I want to speak another sentence over you, and that sentence is that you're loved by God, that he dances over you, he rejoices over you, he can't stop thinking about you, he's for you, he loved you so much that he came and died upon a cross for you and rose again so that you could have a life that was free from guilt and shame and pain and doubt and fear and captivity and all of that stuff. He came to set us free, church. Why do we still live in what the enemy tries to hold us back with? Come on, we need to break some of that free today. We've sung about freedom. Come on, live in the freedom that Christ has won for you. You may feel like you're on the ash heap, but can I tell you that, church, my God is the God of the upstream. 
My God is the God of the upstream. He can take your current position and he can move you to a higher place upstream. Maybe that's physically. Maybe it's geographically. Maybe it's in your mind that you need to move upstream. Maybe it's in your heart you need to move upstream. But God is the God of the upstream. And uh, he's the one who turns lives around and brings hope and transformation. And when he does that, it's not just for your blessing and benefit, but it's for those around as well. God wants to do something in you so that something else can happen in other people's lives as well. Amen? Well, Pharaoh's daughter tells the servants to bring the basket. But what attracted her, first of all? And what did she do? And what can we learn from her actions? You see, God was going to use this young woman in his purpose, and he wants to use us as well in his purpose of lifting people out of darkness, lifting people out of poverty, lifting people out of, out of captivity, children out of poverty, young people out of their circumstances into a better future. So I just want to share with you a few things this morning. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, here's the first thing. Number one, she heard the baby crying. She heard the baby crying. I want to ask you this morning, will you hear the cry of the poor and the broken? Will you open your ears to that which is not comfortable but is essential that we do? Because we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us that we are to love one another. We're to love him, but we're to love those that are unlovable as well. Those that are nothing to do with us. Those who are strangers to us in the world. That we are to love others. That's why we're here, church. We get this window of opportunity on planet earth where we can love others. We're here for others. We can make a difference into other people's lives as well. And we who have been given so much have a greater responsibility. Will you open your ears to the cry of the poor today? The word says this in Proverbs 21 verse 13. If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Ooh, that's a bit of a tough one, isn't it, Pastor Steve? I don't like that verse. Uh, I like verses like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he restores my soul. Oh, that makes me feel good. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, yes. Oh, you know, I know the plans I have for you, God says. Plans to, uh, to give you a future to give you a hope. Oh, I want, I want verses like that. I want to read those kind of things that inspire me and comfort me and make me feel good. But in the midst of it all, the Holy Spirit drops in a few verses that are tough to swallow, aren't they? If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Oh, but God, don't you love me? Yes, I do. Aren't you my father? Yes, I am. Don't you want to bless me? Yeah, I do. But why aren't you hearing my cry? Because you're not listening to the pattern. You're not hearing my heart for those who face injustice. You know, in Isaiah 58, the people of God came to him and they said, God, you're not, you don't care about us. You're not answering our prayers. What's going on? We've prayed, we've fasted, we've done all the kind of ceremonial washings and cleansings and everything that we're supposed to do, but you're not hearing us. And God gets angry and he shouts. He says, shout aloud, do not hold back. And when God shouts, we need to listen. And he says, on the day of your fast, you, you, uh, you, you climb over the backs of the, your workers, you, you abuse the poor, you exploit people because you're greedy for gain. I don't want to hear it. He says, but my fast is this, that you loose the chains 
of injustice. And you set the captive free and you give food to the hungry and shelter to the homeless and clothing for the naked. And you do not turn the stranger away. Wow. Then your light will rise. Then your healing will come, says the Lord. We've got to understand how God works and and what he thinks about the poor and how precious they are to him. And when he sees injustice, how he hates that. And he rebukes the church and he tells us we've got to get our act together. In a minute, I'm going to ask, will you respond to some of these kids? I'm going to ask, will you invest in their lives? Is it costly? Yes, it is. 32 pounds a month. You think, I haven't got that. Well, maybe we've got more money than we think we have. Maybe that gym membership that we've not used that costs 30 pound a month, you know, maybe that could be, you know, redirected or, or, or whatever it may be. But can we do that? Can we invest in someone else's life to right some wrongs and, and to redress the balance and make a difference into someone's life? She heard the baby crying. Number two, she saw a baby, not a deliverer. See, the very means of delivering the people out of captivity was in her hands. But all she could see was a baby. She was smitten. Woo, lovely baby. Little accessory now, you know, have a baby on my arm. But uh, uh, she couldn't see that actually this little baby was going to grow up to the mean, be the means of delivering God's people out of captivity. Do you know, I love that Jesus came as a baby. We've done the Christmas thing, haven't we? Let's never forget he came vulnerable and small and helpless. He came as a baby. But in fact, there was a sentence of death over his life as well, as another deranged king, King Herod, was trying to kill all the baby boys at that point as well. But he came small and vulnerable, and yet he would be the savior of the world. Some of you sponsor a child already. Uh, What do you see in that picture? What do you read in that letter that you've received? You just see a small, helpless child it's quite cute and you stick, stick it on the mantelpiece or on the fridge or whatever it may be? Or do you see a child that actually could turn their country around? We're seeing that all the time. As kids go through our program, they are the, uh, they are the heroes. They are changing their communities and their families and their circumstances and context. And uh, we've got children now who are uh, at the, the head of their governments and members of parliament, lawyers and doctors and engineers and teachers and nurses and business people and great mums and great dads who are changing their community and changing their nation because somebody said, I'm going to invest some money into their lives and give them a hope and a future, not a handout, but a help up and a step up into having good health care and good education and uh, a discipleship curriculum and loving people, a church around them that's going to spur them on. What do you see when you see that child? Who, who knows what these precious kids, what Eli and, and Henriette are going to become when somebody invests in their life, uh, maybe today? Here's, here's another one. She identified a child at risk. She identified a child at risk. She's, you see, she recognized that the baby was a Hebrew child, and and probably she should have handed him over to the authorities, but she was smitten. God had connected her heart to this precious child. Do you know, these children are at risk because poverty creates a very unsafe environment. Many of you will have gone to the cinema in recent weeks and seen a film called One Life about Nicholas Winton, who uh, in World War II... um, 
was in Czechoslovakia, uh, just volunteering and trying to help some of the refugees there and recognized that the Nazis were going to invade Poland and then into Czechoslovakia. And, and they needed to get many of the children out to give them a hope, to give them a future. And they were arranging trains and all kinds of things. And many of these children were Jewish. And sadly, so many ended up in the concentration camps. But he was able to rescue 669 children. And as you hear the story, he says, I could have done more. I could have got another child out. I could have done more. It's like Schindler's List as well. It was another businessman who was getting Jewish people out, uh, you know, of the clutches of Nazism and, and uh, all that could happen to them. I, I could have sold my car. I could have done this to be able to save one more person. And you see the passion. You see the drive. And you see what he did to be able to rescue those kids. And so many kids had a hope and a future because of what he did. Listen, the fight's not over. It's a different story. It's a different context. But there's still children that face an uncertain future. Still children that are at risk, whether they're in this country or whether in the, in the developing world, for all sorts of reasons, we have a responsibility. Don't just, I, I've seen so many posts on Facebook, how moving that film was. It, it can be moving, but if it doesn't move you to do something then we're, we're stuck. We, we just celebrate the past and what an incredible story that is, but, but there's still more work to be done. And we still need to get kids out of an unsafe environment where they can be trafficked, where they can be exploited, abused, where they can die young, where girls can get pregnant early and go into marriage early and, and, and all of this stuff because that's what poverty does. And we have a responsibility. She identified a child at risk, girls subject to abuse, exploitation, early marriage, pregnancy. I don't want little Henriette at the age of 11 to have an early marriage where suddenly now she's pregnant within a couple of years and, you know, uh, maybe then abused throughout her adolescence, maybe gets HIV, maybe dies at the age of 21, you know, I want girls like Henriette to be able to go to school and to have an education. 130 million girls are not in education today because they're held back. They, they're needed in the home. They have to walk five kilometers a day to fetch filthy water to bring back to the family. They have to get up early and work in the, in the community, whatever it is that they have to do. I want them to get into school. I want them to have an education because if, if that... Uh, that, that Henriette can get an education, then she can get a qualification. And if she's got a qualification, then she can get a job. And if she gets a job, then she can get money. And if she's got money, she's got spending power. And if she's got spending power, she'll have a voice. And she can make a difference in her community. She can become a businesswoman. She can affect change. She can be an influencer in her nation and rise to the top. That's what we want for these kids. And, and we can make that happen. What do you see when you see that child? She identified a child at risk. Here's another one. She asked someone to nurse him. Quick as a flash, Miriam, big sister Miriam, jumps up and she says, I know someone who could look after the baby. It's pretty good, isn't it? God's got it all sorted out. Okay? So she goes and gets her mum, Jochebed. How cool is that? You know, in compassion, we're not in the business of taking children out of their context. We want to serve them in their family. We want to serve whatever that family unit looks like, whatever the caregiver is, if it's a mom or a dad or a both, 
but, you know, hopefully, or if it's an auntie or a grandmother or, or whoever it might be, we want to sow into that unit. We want to be able to help and come alongside the church, will come alongside teaching parenting skills, home management, life skills, bringing stability into that home. That's what we want to do. We want to help the family where they are, not take the child out and put them in a home somewhere. This is about helping them to thrive in their own context. She asked someone to nurse him, and mum gets the opportunity to have her child back. And then uh, the princess, she pays for his care and support. Incredible. You see, Jochebed gets her child back, and not only that, but somebody else pays for the cost. That's pretty good. Maybe, maybe that's the first child sponsorship. I don't know. Oh, I'm not going to go there. But, uh, but uh, uh, I, I, you, you get to invest in their needs. When you invest in a child, you invest in their needs, their health care provision, their, their nutrition, their education, uh, their understanding of God's love for them. Do you know, every day in Compassion, 400 children give their lives to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Because this isn't about making a child's life more comfortable. This is about introducing them to the hope of the world. You see, when they know his hope, when they have hope from heaven, they can change their own circumstances. This is about, isn't about us doing everything for them. This is about giving them a sense of belief and hope in a Savior who loves them so much. And uh, they're the ones who rise. They're the ones who participate in their own release from captivity and, and from poverty. And we just there just to play our part and to help them on their way. Playing our part, not just, you know, we're, it's not our child. We're, we're not making the difference. We've not done it all. We've just played our part by sponsoring a child. There's a, a pastor, there's a project director, there's a healthcare worker, there's an accountant, there's a social worker, there's a team of volunteers. There's a whole load of people that are all behind that child, spurring them on. And we get to play our part as well. It takes a village to raise a child, we often say. Here's another one. She took him from a river to a palace. Later, as Moses got a bit older, it says that he went to live in the palace of Pharaoh. Acts 7.22 says this. Moses was educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. Now, he had all kinds of doubts himself, didn't he? Because a few years later, he's telling God, I'm no good, I can't speak. And we all kind of present our, our doubts to God, don't we? But uh, he, he grew up in the palace and he had an opportunity uh, to, to, to make a difference. And ultimately, he did. But this boy was moving upstream. He was moving upstream. I love stories, so many stories of our, of our children who've come through the program, who are now just uh, affecting so much change around the world. I think of Richmond, who was a little boy who saw his father murdered. And he grew up angry, and then one day he was registered onto a compassion project in Uganda. And uh, he got to know Jesus and Jesus changed his life. And he went through the program. Then he went through our leadership development program. And then he went to university. And then he became the pastor of the church that oversaw his, his project. And he's still the pastor there now. He started a pastor's network of 600 plus pastors. He's just built a Bible college. Saw him a few years ago. And I said, what, what's next? He said, I want to be the president of Uganda. And he probably will be. Who knows? But now he sits on the Compassion UK board as somebody who's been through it and is able to advise 
and help us in our understanding of development issues. Isn't that amazing? See, that's, that's just one person. There's so many others doing so much more. I want you just to watch the screen and just see this short video. Then I'm going to jump back up and we're going to just bring this to a close and uh, maybe the band can come back up with me as well. That would be great. Let's watch the screen. In a given week, we'll go at least for three days without food. The friends that I played with in the neighborhood got captured and was being trained to become child soldiers. We would beg our parents just to buy one apple, but even the rotten ones we could not afford to buy. In a period of 18 months, I lost my small brother Patrick, my mom, and I lost my stepdad because of the terrifying disease of HIV AIDS. When my mother died, I was lost. I was looking for hope, for God to just show me that everything was going to be okay. Not knowing what tomorrow will look like, not knowing whether I would have a home, whether we would live to see the next day. I don't know why Aaron Mitchell decided to sponsor me, but when he did, my whole life changed. A group of people from Compassion showed up at my church. They said, you're going to go to school, and then somebody's going to write to you. I don't have to worry about whether my parents would have enough money to keep me going to school. Even if I get sick, someone was there to take care of me. I felt safe. I felt wanted. My sponsor is Edwin Bunny. Maria and Hanshru. Aaron, me too. Five women from a Lutheran church that were sponsoring me. I am now a physical therapist and I'm working in a hospital. Clinical social worker. I was the first child in my family to go to high school, to go to college. I have a bachelor and a master in, in biomedical engineering, a second master in engineering management, and uh, I called me into ministry, so I had to go and get a third master. I have a ministry called Youth Arise Africa that works with boys who don't have father figures. We opened a small school. It's now providing the same opportunity that Compassion provided to me so that they too can break out of the cycle of poverty. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. You do for me. You did for me. You did it for me. Sponsor a child today to break the cycle of poverty in a child's life like my sponsor did for me. Amen. Come on, give it up for these wonderful young people. Changing lives. So amazing. Can you stand with me this morning? Do you know, the last point is this. Because of her love and support, he was able to change the history of the world. The word says that they saw that he was no ordinary child. Can I tell you that there's no ordinary children? Every child is precious in God's sight. But there was something upon Moses, the favor of God, the anointing of God to be the deliverer of the Hebrew people, to take them out of that exodus, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, the wilderness right through to the promised land. This boy had moved upstream. When everything was against him, God turned it around. God can turn your situation around and move you upstream. 
that I'm going to ask as we just bow our heads in prayer right now. What is it that God is saying to you? How do we need to respond to the Word of God when it comes to others this morning? First of all, do I need to be more grateful and live a life, an attitude of gratitude rather than just buying into this consumer society that says you need more, you need this, you need that. Maybe I just need to be less materialistic and live simply so that others can simply live. Maybe I need a softer heart to those who face injustice. Break our heart for what breaks yours, Lord. Oh, God. Maybe I need to get involved more with the life of the church and the ministry of the church and sign up for a team, do something, be involved in something for the least of these. Jesus. Some years ago, I was in Ethiopia with a church, and, and we'd gone to a project where it was like a fun day, and the, uh, the team had split up. They were playing games with the kids, and they were doing all sorts of things. Some were playing football, some were playing uh, running races, skipping, all sorts. I found myself with a, a group of children, uh, maybe 30 children, they, maybe the age of five or six, and I said to one of the guys, let's do some throwing and catching skills. And I got them in a circle and put the guy in the middle and he's throwing the ball to each one around the circle and, and lots of fun. And I walked around the outside and picked up the ball when it dropped and threw it back in. And, and I watched as the ball went round. It came to a little boy and he had a long sleeve white shirt on. His arms were down by his side and, and uh, the ball was thrown to him, but he didn't even attempt to go for it. It just hit him on the chest and fell to the floor. It went round again and the same thing happened. I thought, well, I'll give him a I'll give him some support. I'll give him a hand here. So I went alongside him and, and I got down next to him and he looked up at me with a very sad expression on his face. And I said, let's do this together. And I went to take his hands in mine so that we could catch the ball. And I realized he didn't have an arm in his right sleeve. And his left hand, he only had three fingers. No wonder he couldn't go for the ball. No wonder he didn't even attempt it. And do you know what, church? I literally became the right arm and the left hand of this little boy and together we caught the ball together we caught the ball you should have seen his face change suddenly he was able to join in suddenly he was able to throw and catch and be a part of the fun and the games that all the other children were were enjoying because I became the right arm of encouragement the left hand of support into that situation and I'm asking today will you become that right arm of support that left hand of encouragement take the hand of a child and lead them across that line, that lie of poverty that says you're rubbish, that the future is hopeless for you. This is the way it's always going to be. It's always been that way in your family. It's not going to change. Let's take them across the line. Give them a hope and a future. 32 pounds a month. You know, that's an offering. Invest in the storehouse here. But maybe there's an offering that you can give today, and that's to sponsor a child, invest in a child's life like Henriette or Eli or some of the other precious children that are out uh, represented on that table and make a difference to some children in Rwanda. Pray for them. 
write them some letters, encourage them. Maybe that's a response in your heart today. You say, well, Tim, I can't do that. But maybe you can give some money to a wow project and and invest in something in another part of the world. Maybe you can continue to do what you're already doing in some mission organization. The thing is, we should all do something. We can all do something today to get the next child out of poverty, out of captivity, into a place of freedom. Oh God, praying for my friends here today. Holy Spirit, speak to me as well. Speak to me. I only want to do your will, Lord. Jesus, show us what we should do, Father. We love you. Thank you for the privilege of living where we do, for all the benefits, the blessings, the opportunities that we have. And I'm mindful that perhaps there are some here today that feel like they are the bottom of the pile and feel like life has not played a fair hand to them. I'm praying in Jesus' name that you would just minister into their lives comfort and hope and a belief that you're the God of the upstream and you can change this. You can change this. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. We'll worship the Lord, but I'm going to hand back to Pastor Stephen. Amen.